Good morning. Pastor Rob, welcome to our 10.30 service. <clears throat> if you have a copy of the Bible, uh, you can open it up, turn it on, into Matthew chapter 5, where we started the series last week, cover of your bulletin, titled, The Life You've Always Wanted and Believed Somewhere Was True. It's looking at the um, most, most important, most well-known, better said, um, of the blocks of teachings of Jesus in all of the Bible called the Sermon on the Mount. And these two sections of Scripture, both last week and this week, represent, you know, the introduction, um, you might say, of this long sermon that we will look at over the course of a total of 13 weeks. But today we're looking at part two of this opening passage, um, verses 7 through 16, in a message titled, Designed for Service. Designed for Service. <clears throat> Follow along as I read Matthew 5, 7 through 16. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light Shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let me, um, for time's sake, give you a, a statement that I think really covers the last week's sermon and this week's, that is to say this very important passage often called the, you know, the Beatitudes, the inaugural part of this sermon. So this would be a title, not just for this, although it fits very tightly, you could say this is a title for the entire sermon and maybe even for the entire Christian life. That is, you are blessed as you are before you are asked to be what you are not, okay? You are blessed as you are, Jesus is saying. Before you are asked to be, it's where this passage ends, right? The very final verse. Therefore, now that I've poured so much into you, go let your light shine before others. Before you are asked to be who you are not. Now, let me say this. Someone asked me last week and <clears throat> said, you know, uh, what's a beatitude? And the word beatitude, of course, is not in the Bible. That is to say, the word, we didn't just read it. It's a summary. It probably says it as a title over the, over the verses that we just read, those first um, a handful of verses that go up to verse 12. The word beatitude, actually, just to take a second, is actually a Latin word. In other words, it's an English transliteration of a Latin word, but it's, it's, it's held on for you know, centuries and centuries. And the, word, the Latin word, uh, underlying word, just simply means happy. 
And the Greek word that's used here, that's translated blessed, the Bible comes from Greek, not Latin, is actually the word for happy or fortunate. But what this means when Jesus says, is sort of these, he's making a declaration, right? It's, it's, it's almost like a fiat. He's leaning over someone, like maybe a parent would do over an infant, right? Who's, who's completely passive and I love you or I care. It's a, it's a blessing, okay? It's, a, uh, it's not something, this happiness, okay, that is stated, declared by Jesus. It's not something you can produce. Listen carefully. It's not even something you can emulate. These are not put here whether it's the sort of sober first four, what we call need beatitudes, or the more encouraging outward focused help beatitudes that we just read, verses 7 through 12, they're not designed to something that you emulate. That's not what Jesus is saying, do what I do. They're not something you can produce. They are only something that you can receive from God, right? It's a gift, right? The wholeness in Jesus, in the context of the Christian life, is given at the beginning of the Christian life. It's not the reward at the end. And so over centuries of translation, it's really saying happy. Jesus is just declaring and talking about happiness. But because these blessings, these happinesses, so to speak, are given by God as a gift, the translators use the word blessing. Right? which we've sort of lost the true meaning of that, which means it's just given to you something. It's just something that shows up on your doorstep, shows up on your pillow. It's money in your bank account you were looking for. It's something that shows up in your mailbox, right, that you didn't expect at all. It just shows up. Even that kind of thing that you only have dreamed about, you know, in your wildest dreams being true of your life, but you'd never speak it out loud because you'd be embarrassed knowing that you don't deserve it and it would never come your way. It's that kind of dream, that kind of miracle thing actually arriving in your life, right? That's what he's talking about. Let me tell you the big idea, okay, that's being talked about. You are blessed as you are before you're asked to be who you are not. There are eight blessings, right? We, we read them all this week and last week, and that all boils up to two declarations, right? You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And only then, after eight blessings and two declarations, do you get only a single command, let your light shine before men. This is kind of the analogy. It's almost like a mannequin. That's what I thought of. If those of you, you know, you see these in a, in a store, you and I are the mannequin, and somebody comes to this very no-nonsense, inanimate, you know, not worth a whole lot mannequin and dresses it from head to toe with a beautiful uh, 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 clothes, a beautiful, uh, uh, you know, shirt and beautiful pants and a beautiful hat and all kinds of jewelry and, and a coat and shoes and puts thousands of dollars on this inanimate, passive mannequin. That's really what's being said here. And there are eight blessings and then two declarations of saying, now you are this fully dressed, beautiful person. Now simply to all of this blessing, there's only a single command. Let your light shine before others so that God may be glorified. In Jesus Wholeness stands at the beginning as a gift, not as a reward at the end. If you get that wrong, and some of us do, you get the whole of the Christian life wrong. There is a kind of hell on earth 
and we'll get to this later in the year, that Jesus will define Matthew chapter 23 if you want to look at it. And that hell on earth is this. It's trying to live out the Christian life, as it will be explained in this great sermon, the life you've always wanted and believed somewhere was true. It's trying to live it out in your own strength or in some ways as a religious exercise. It's life as a vending machine, maybe said another way, where you think you put in virtue and you get out happiness, right? That's the way some of us think about life. That's the way some of us frame the Christian life. But if you've lived long enough, you know what? Life doesn't work that way. You can put all the virtue you want into life. You can put all the virtue and in, in do good uh, uh, that you want in your Christian faith, and it's not going to produce happiness. That's not the way the Christian life works. The first four need beatitudes, simple illustration, okay? We looked at them last week. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What does that really mean? It means that every single person who've ever lived, every person in this room, whether you're super spiritual or you're just getting into the game, whether your life's an absolute mess or you've been working hard at it, every single person in this room before a holy God is spiritually bankrupt. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn for what they are not yet in their life. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst, we talked about this last week, for a righteousness that you do not possess, you've never possessed, that you can only get from God. That's what the need beatitudes are. And the help beatitudes, verses 5 through 12, or excuse me, 7 through 12 that we just read, okay, is simply pouring into the lives of others what God has poured into you, going out into a world where people need mercy and compassion, going out into the world out of a pure heart that God has given you in motivations with others, going out and being a peacemaker with people who are hopeless and without God and learning to have a resilience in your life. Blessed are those who are persecuted that you did not have before. Now, this is not just a picture, the Beatitudes, of the Christian disciple. Listen very carefully. So it's just a picture, a portrait. These characteristics, these emotional states. Listen, it's a process that you are supposed to live out every single day of your life. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. You don't do that once in your life. You do that every day. And the more you do that, the more your heart is transformed and the more you are able to do we are blessed as we are in order that we might do be um, what we are not, but what we are becoming. You become, you grow a heart that has mercy to give to people who need it. Your heart becomes more pure in its motivations, and you can exercise that in relationships. You become a peacemaker. You become resilient. Okay, This is what Jesus is talking about. You are blessed as you are before you were asked to be who you are not. Second point leads right into it. Your greatest challenge, my greatest challenge, is to be who you are, okay? This is the challenge. It's the opposite. Wholeness is God's gift at the beginning. Sometimes of us, we think it's the opposite. Man, we think we have this vision 
of this beautifully clothed man or woman. We say, listen, I got to put my time in. What it means to be a follower of Jesus. Man, I got to earn my boots, and then I got to earn my pants, and then I got to earn my great shirt and my hat, and I got to put this all together. And it might take a lifetime to do that. It's the vending machine. In comes virtue, and out comes happiness. But no, that's not the way it works at all. 180 degrees, right? God comes and just unloads the dump truck and puts all those beautiful clothes on you, and now he says, listen, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world, and your challenge and my challenge is to play catch-up with who we are. Now, there's two bold statements, and those of you who have been at church a while, I hope you don't turn me off because you've heard so many salt and light sermons in you, but try to hang in there because this is another one of those places where we, with familiarity comes you know, disinterest and even contempt. Heard that, been there, done that. Jesus make some bold statements, right? Especially in his day. We look back and we say, oh, the church is a great thing and, you know, all seven continents, the church is growing and it's, you know, uh, the, the Christianity is by far in a way, don't let anyone tell you otherwise, okay? Um, the largest and fastest growing uh, faith and it has been uh, and it continues to be all over, the, all over the planet. But when Jesus said these words, okay, the church was a, was a non-factor in the Roman Empire. And to say to these unsavory, un, uh, anonymous, you know, fishermen that you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world was an absolute unbelievable statement. But Jesus is doing it to say something profound, knowing it would be, we'd be talking about it here today, okay, and throughout the time, about every one of us, and here's the idea, okay? Over time, if we understand this process, our lives become a demonstration to others. Look at verse 16. What's this all about? Of the kingdom of God. Now, you might say, if I was God and the world's a dark and broken place, salt of the earth, light of the world, it's corrupting and it's dark and it's more like, why wouldn't I just create something, I, this sounds like a good idea, where I'm just going to flip a switch. I'm going to go from a broken and corrupt world, ipso facto, and I'm going to turn it into a perfect world, like, you know, Revelation 21 or 22. That seems to make sense to me. Oh, Lord, just change everything. Turn on the lights everywhere. But God says, thank you for your advice. Okay, but let me tell you how I'm going to do it. I'm going to allow the world to continue to be broken and dark and morally corrupt, but I'm going to take my light, I'm going to take my salt, and I'm going to inject it into those who are committed followers of me, and then I'm going to send you out into a world to be salt and light so that the kingdom of God, what is that? It's simply the rule of God, the reign of God, the power of God, pulsating through your mind, your heart, your intellect, what you do in and out of every single day. That's how I'm going to change the world. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, let me, let me talk about this metaphor briefly. What does it mean? There's negative and positive. Let's start with the, with the negative, which most of us are familiar with. Salt slows down decay, okay? And I think we're supposed to do that. We are supposed to be sent in small and big ways into our world to slow down decay, and light exposes moral darkness, and we are called to do that. We are called to be salt and light, to be different makers, to be distinctive, to go into a world, although I'm, sin, I'm not sinless, you're not sinless, I am becoming, we are asked, blessed to, as we are, 
and asked to be who we are not. You know, we, we, we are not that yet, but we are becoming that. And we are to go into a world and expose darkness and slow down decay. We're supposed to go into the world, into the very places where the world is broken and corrupt and take a stand and speak the truth and listen, call a sin a sin. And see, some of us don't want to do that. We keep our faith to ourselves. We turn a blind eye to wrongdoing. We get along to go along. And when you get along to go along, when you or I turn a blind eye to wrongdoing, when we keep our faith to ourselves, we're choosing. I want you to know, keep this in mind. You're choosing not to be who you are. Okay? You got to make a choice. Let me tell you something. God can love you, and I affirm that to my core, no matter who you are in this room. God can love you and at the same time be disappointed in you. Those two things can happen at the same time. Not because you don't measure up to God's standards. Jesus did that for us. That's the gospel. But because you're not measuring up to your potential, right? You're not making up to you. That's what verses 13 and 15 are. They're a warning, they're almost a nonsensical warning because salt can't be saltless. But he's saying, listen, I've given you. I'm the one that breathed life into you. I'm the one that put that beautiful hat on your head. I'm the one that put that coat on your back. I'm the one that put those jeans on your body. I'm the one that put those shoes. Everything in your pocket, all your wealth, everything. I gave it to you. Now simply be who you are. But if you decide that you don't want to do that, you're never going to leave the house what good is salt that's not out there infecting the world? It's good for nothing to be trampled under the foot of it. Who has a light and actually puts a bowl over the top of it? Well, nobody does or nobody should. Right? We need to be who we are. This passage opens up with the blessings. Right? The, the calculus of this passage is intentional. You're supposed to look at it and go, wow, there's eight blessings Two nice declarations and only one really kind of modest command. Let your light shine before others that you may glorify your Father in heaven. Why so much imbalance? Because it's supposed to drive you back and drive me back to the source of our only source of our strength, which is the righteousness that you couldn't produce, you couldn't buy, you couldn't get it from your parents. We hunger and thirst for a righteousness that we don't have. Listen carefully to these verses. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Listen very carefully. It's another way of saying the same thing. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. The grace of God, right? That's what this dressed mannequin is. The grace of God is unmerited favor. It just showed up on your doorstep. It showed up on your pillow. It's money in your bank account. You never expected it to come and someone rang the doorbell and there it was. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to smart people, religious people, white people, black people, you know, uh, Western people, East, no, all people. And it, oh, this is so important. This is the Beatitudes. It that is the grace of God, that's the antecedent, teaches us, if you know how to make grace your teacher, to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions 
and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope and the appearing of our great God and our Savior Jesus, while we wait, we open wide our mouths and he fills it, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. A people that are his very own, listen to it, eager to do what is good. You are blessed as you are before you're asked to be who you are not. Your greatest challenge, my greatest challenge, is to be who we are. Okay? Lastly, our deepest desire, your deepest desire, my deepest desire, is to be of use to the world, okay? To be of use to the world. Now, be careful that we hear Jesus out. Because sometimes we look at these common passages of Scripture, we think we know what it means. But there's not only a negative here, salt is designed to preserve decay, and light is something that exposes darkness, and we need to take a stand, and we need to call a sin a sin, and we need to not turn a blind eye to wrongdoing. That's what I'm, I'm, I'm affirming that. But the emphasis of this passage, verse 16, is next, not actually on the negative applications of salt and light. It's on the positive. There's only one command here. It doesn't say, now go into the world and curse the darkness. Go into the world and tell everybody what's wrong with their life. Go into the world and, 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 and point out all that is wrong with the world. That's something we ought to do, but it's not our primary objective. Most people, most thinking people in your neighborhood and mine, they already know, <laughs> I think, that the world is morally broken, okay? They need some help, but not a lot. But the real directive here is on the positive. Light not only exposes darkness, it help, it's the way that we see everything else. Think about it. If I showed up at your doorstep and a surprise visit at midnight, just rang all the bells and turn every light on in your house, I would see probably, this would certainly be true at my house, okay? I would see socks on the floor, crumbs under the bed, whatever the case may be. But I would also see, by light we see everything else. I'd see the beautiful artwork on your walls. I'd see the books that you're reading. And I'd look out in your backyard if you have one and I'd see a beautiful, uh, you know, um, backyard. In other words... Light exposes darkness, but it's the way we see everything else. And guess what? Salt is the way we taste everything else. And this isn't just true. And I'm not just being clever. Jesus uses these two metaphors because they're the same uh, from all time. Yes, it was a preservative, more in Jesus' day than on our own. But salt is and has always been a way that enhances flavor of everything else. Now, let me quickly say something about myself. I am as far from a foodie as you're going to find, okay? I, I, I started a, 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 a construction project in my house. I have not had a kitchen. I'm about to get one since February, okay? And someone said to me recently, it was more, I said, oh, I feel so bad for you. And how do you do it? You know, I got my little microwave and my little college refrigerator. And I love the sympathy, but really my honest answer is I live 
you know, five minutes from Wegmans, I hardly notice it, okay? <laughs> I've hardly noticed it. I mean, be, I can't wait to see the nice kitchen, but I hardly notice it. Now, I'm not saying you should be like me, number one, but let me say this. I listen to this, um, I listen to these various, you know, just, I like interviews and podcasts, and so I listen to this one from a famous chef and cookbook writer, and I just, not because I like food, because I just listened to this podcast, but she was so fascinating, and some of you may know this, it's become the hottest selling cookbook in 2018, you can't even get it uh, without back order, it's called Salt, Fat, Acid, and Heat, and her, this book, very, it's a Netflix uh, um, uh, special too, she's basically saying these are the four most important elements in food. Now, the reason I bought the book I'm not a foodie, was to give to my sister for Christmas because my sister is a foodie, okay? <laughs> but I thought, well, I'm gonna, I was so intrigued by it, I'm going to read the first chapter, which she says is the most important. It's on salt. And in this book, in this chapter, she talks about her own discovery of the importance of salt. But as I read it just a minute long, think about the words of Jesus because he's using this as an analogy. Her name is Salmon Nasret. The book is Salt, Acid, or Salt, Fat, Acid, and Heat. One day as a young cook in the prep kitchen, I was, at, I was tasked with cooking polenta. I tasted polenta only once before coming to Chez Panis, famous restaurant in San Francisco, and I, and, it wasn't a, and I wasn't a fan. It was flavorless. Once the chef talked me through the steps of making polenta, I began cooking. After an hour and a half, I added in butter and parmesan, just as instructed. Okay. Uh, I bought him a spoonful of the creamy porridge to taste. He said in his signature deadpan, it needs more salt. I returned to the pot and sprinkled in a few grains of salt. I thought it tasted pretty good, so I returned with a spoonful of my newly adjusted polenta. This time, he marched back, me back to the pot and added not one, but three enormous palmfuls of salt. The perfectionist in me was horrified, okay? He then grabbed spoons, and together we tasted. Then an indescribable transformation occurred. The corn was somehow sweeter, the butter richer, and all the flavors were more pronounced. It was as if I was struck by lightning. James Beard, the father of modern cookery, once asked, where would we be without salt? I know the answer, adrift in a sea of blandness. If, if you only get one lesson from this book, let it be this. Salt has a greater impact on flavor than any other ingredient. Learn to use it well, and your food will taste good. Salt's relationship to flavor is multidimensional. Now listen carefully. It's an analogy. It minimizes bitterness, balances out sweetness, and enhances aroma, heightening the overall experience of eating. That's what Jesus is saying, right? All right? You are the salt of the earth, right? You are a, 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 a shaker of salt five inches from that piece of food isn't going to do a darn thing, okay? Yes, we're called to preserve the decay, slow it down. Yes, we're called to expose the darkness, but we are much more called to bring flavor to a corrupt world and to turn on the light so people can see everything else around us. What is Jesus saying, right, in this warning? You can't make yourself salty, right? That's the vending machine mentality. 
And it's not your light, by the way. You are the light of the world, but it's derivative, right? It's his light. But if your desire is to experience the life that you've always wanted and believe somewhere is true, let me tell you something. It's not found in a big bank account. It's not found in a fancy kitchen, okay? It's found in being used by God in small and medium ways to bring light and hope to a dark world that does not know him. No. And you don't need to be a pastor to do that. You don't need to be a missionary. And I would even say, for the most part, what I'm talking about right here, better off if you're not either one of those things. Because the people that most need hope and light and encouragement, they're living in your neighborhoods and my neighborhoods and in, in the schools and the classrooms and the doctor's offices and in the, in the places where you and I live. Close with a quick video. I'm confident no one in this room knows, knew before a week ago the name Amanda Riggin, who's a young 20-something FedEx driver in York County, South Carolina. But because she understood the meaning of this challenge, now 15 million people know her story. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Watch this brief video. Hey, everyone. As you can tell, I'm at work. I just had to pull over and share something real quick. Um, as I'm delivering, uh, I pull up to this house. The lady walks out because she's checking her, her mailbox for her newspaper. And I have two boxes for her, so we start walking up the driveway together. And she asked me if I had a happy holidays. And... I was telling her how busy it was. I told her I had a, a really great uh, Christmas and New Year's and I, I asked her the same. I was like, how was your holidays? And with tears in her eyes, she said it wasn't good. And um, she said, he's sick. My husband's sick. He has cancer. I continued a small talk to try to change the subject because that's awkward and uh, I deliver. Her package, she said, what's your name? I said, Amanda, and she told me her name. I drove off, um, my heart's pounding. I, I do probably 20 more stops and I have to go back. Um, you know, with this kind of job, we're on a, a tight schedule. Um, quicker you do it, the better, quicker you get home. I stopped what I was doing. I went back to that neighborhood and rang her doorbell and uh, asked her she came down the stairs and uh she had tears in her eyes when she saw it was me she smiled and i said ma'am can i pray with you and she just broke down she came out on the front porch and squeezed me so tight um this lady i've never met she held my hand so tight and i prayed for her and her family and for her husband and the point of this is is a lot of people want the Lord to use them and and for me as an example I pray every day for the Lord to use me but when he's he's trying to use you or when you feel that call and that that tug on your heartstrings do you move your feet do you move because I easily could have just went I have a hundred stops I easily could have just went about the rest of my day thinking about it so when you feel those tugs on your on your heartstrings and you feel like you need to do this, stop and do it. You know what I mean? 
um, oh man, that was like the most genuine hug I have received in a long time, and I just want to share that with you guys. If you if you're praying for the Lord to help and to use you in people's situations, when He is giving you a chance, do it. If not, you're gonna you're gonna continue to think about it and think about it and regret it. Like, so be sure you know what you're praying for when you're praying. I don't know. I just it, it made me sad, but yet it made my day. To this lady was just so alone. But anyway, you guys have a good day. You want to know where the overwhelming majority of us in this room fit in God's grand strategy to bring, to turn the world in a different way? It's right there, okay? It's right there. And the more you understand this process, okay, Life is not a vending machine. Every single day of your life, if you're a thoughtful Christian. You know, you might, yesterday might have been the most spiritual, the biggest spiritual high you ever had, that's wonderful. But when you wake up tomorrow, you're starting from ground zero again, right? We hunger and thirst for a righteousness that we don't have. And the more we appreciate that, the more we, we live that way, the more we experience the transformed heart. The more we begin to become who we are. And then we actually, the world begins to open up to you in ways that it didn't before. And whether you're a FedEx driver or a doctor, or a lawyer, or a businessman, or a woman, or a mom, or a dad, you begin to see opportunities to do what this says. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds. And guess what? Not only will you do what you're meant to do, but I loved about that story is you'll experience the joy, right? that nothing else in this world can give because you were designed, right? Your core, core of core motivations. You were designed to find great satisfaction mostly in being of use to the world. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here this morning. God, we love you, and we want to be more like Jesus. Thank you for this, um, these amazing ancient words that come with the power and authority of their speaker, of their author. Lord, we, we open our minds and our hearts and our mouths wide today that you might fill them that we might turn around in this world this day and be what this world most needs and wants. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.